turn to Luke 11. podcast our sermons so gotta make sure to get it on the mic all right so luke 11 we talked about this last week and we're going to continue today on a father's day theme and i'd like to just read the passage for you luke 11 1 through 13 you can follow along if you wish now jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord, teach us to pray as John, that's John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. One who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him instead a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Yeah, crazy, right, Naomi? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, in the Matthew version of this sermon, he says, how much more will the Father give good gifts? So that time he preached it, he made it a little more generalized. But this time, he's getting real specific about what the best gift is, the best thing we can ask for, and that is the Holy Spirit, more of God himself more of his presence, more of his word and guidance. So last week we talked about how Jesus taught this sermon in response to teach us to pray. And there's, there's three parts. There's the prayer, there's the little parable in the middle, and then he's got a great teaching analogy at the end. And I want to look, because it's Father's Day at the very beginning, uh, verse 2. So Jesus is giving them an example of a prayer. It's a little different than the one he did in Matthew. And it's a little different than the one in Mark. And that's because I think, in my opinion, you're not supposed to pray the exact same prayer to God all the time. There's a little bit of variation, and that's okay. Now, the church formalized the Lord's Prayer by merging them together and that sort of thing, which is fine. It's not a bad prayer to pray. It's a great prayer to pray. Um, But we've got to be careful about making everything real formalized when it comes to prayer. It needs to be a heart thing between us and God. And that's the point Jesus is making here with his very first statement. Father, hallowed be your name. So you start off the prayer with Father. So this isn't 
a prayer to the king of kings or to Lord God Almighty. Of course, he's those things too. But when we come before the Lord in prayer, particularly to ask for things, we come to our Father. And Paul mentioned this a couple weeks ago. And so right there, he's saying that prayer is about intimacy with God. It's about the personal relationship. So it's heart to heart. And he wants us to understand that we're coming to our Father. Now, Paul mentioned this the other week, but this is really unusual. Nobody had ever done this before. Um, One of the the commentators I read who did a lot more research on this than I did said, there is no evidence of anyone before Jesus using the term father when addressing God. It never happened. Now, in the Old Testament, we see father used as a metaphor. God is the father of all and that sort of thing. But when addressing him, that's too intimate. That's way too formal. The Jews couldn't do that. It was just too much. They thought it was inappropriate or even blasphemous to refer to God in that intimate of a way. And so Jesus is changing stuff. Jesus changes a lot, right? He builds on the old, but the new covenant is different and it's better. And one of the ways the new covenant is better is our relationship with God is different now. It's not just master-servant. It's not just ruler-subject. It's father-child. It's brother. Later Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And we're adopted as God's children. That's why he's our father. And we're now co-heirs with Jesus Christ, our brother. So there's a lot more intimacy now. And um, God uses the familial terms to best describe that intimacy. Now, some people might say God used the term father because we have parents and kids. And that's the way we structure our lives is by family units, right? And so God's like, oh, that's a good analogy. I'm going to use that analogy when telling people what I'm like with them. But I think the opposite is true. I think when God created us, way back at the very beginning, he said, this is how I want to be with them, and so I am going to create them in my image. So I'm going to make it so that they have fathers and mothers and kids, and that that's how things work, so that they will better understand who I'm supposed to be for them. So I think when God created us, he did it with that intentionality to show us through our life who he wants to be for us. He wants to be the parent. Everybody with me? And I've always found it interesting. I was at my background's in science, and humans are born, are one of the most vulnerable creatures on the planet when we're born. A lot of other creatures aren't. We were at Como Zoo last week, and they had the baby zebra, two weeks old. He's like this big, running around, doing absolutely everything. Everything a normal zebra would do. He's just a little bit smaller, not even that much. We're like two weeks old. Ouch. That poor mama zebra. That thing is huge. Okay. Two weeks old, he can do everything. He barely even needs his parents, honestly. And that's true with a lot of animals. A lot of sharks, they give birth and swim away. That's it. They never even see their kid. Okay? On Father's Day, I think we can appreciate how sad that would be for us as humans. But Jesus, when he created us, made us the exact opposite. We need parents or we die. We die. If, we, if we're not fed every day, we die. And that's how God created us. And he did that intentionally to show us that we need him every single day, just like a baby needs a parent. And as we grow in our relationship with God, we become toddlers instead of babies. And we have different needs and throw more tantrums and that sort of thing. And then we continue to mature in God and we have different needs and we gain more responsibility. And God expects more from us, but he's always going to be our dad. And now as an adult, I have different relationship with my parents who are here, in case you don't know, um, than I did when I was a kid. But they're still my parents. Right? And they always will be. And so God 
Jesus is very concerned that we understand this, that God is our father and what that really means. So let me just ask you this, since some of you might have some different perspectives, but what does it mean to you that God is our father? Anybody? That's one of my favorites. He's a safe place. Mm hmm. Someone never comes to him. Yeah, thank God. Those who never judge him. Yeah. And I like all these answers, and there's a lot more. And all these answers reflect that you understand who God the Father is. And if you did have any wounds from your own upbringing, that you've forgiven and received healing from that. And not all of us maybe have. And so for some of us, when we think of God as father, we don't think safe place because our dad wasn't a safe place. And we don't think comfort because our mom never comforted us or whatever the case may be. So I want to be sensitive to that. But if you're still in that place, um, we are a church that helps people through that. And we could all raise our hands for those of us who've been through it already, even here in this church. And so um, if that's something that you still struggle with, we want to help you do that. Because the Father is a safe place. He is the comforter. He is all these things for us. And Jesus is very, it's the very first word. Teach us how to pray. He starts off, Father. Okay, again, this had never been done before. The disciples are like, what? No. You can't, you can't do that. That's not allowed. They'll throw stones at us. If we start off a prayer with our Father. And Jesus is like, no, this is the most important thing you need to learn about prayer. God is your father. Now, why father specifically? God's also almighty God. He's our Lord. He's the king of the universe, all those things. Why pray to the father and not those other things, all of which are God? What do you think? Because Jesus is very specific. We pray our father. I also, I also think it's interesting that all of these pronouns are plural. They're communal. Our father. Give us our daily bread. They're not personal. They're not individual. They're not I and me. They're our. And so there's an aspect of prayer that's meant to be corporate and social, that we pray these things together. Together we declare your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Together we ask for daily bread. I'm not saying you can't do that individually. I'm just saying Jesus specifically uses the inclusive language, the group social language. So why Father and not something else? When you, how many of you have ever, how many of you are currently working a job where you make money? Okay, a lot of us, at least some, money. Um, how many of you would like a raise in your current job? Okay. How many of you have asked for a raise in your current situation? Only a couple. Okay. So everybody wants a raise, except for two people who decided they were too humble to raise their hand. Just kidding. Um, but I know who you are. Um, no. <laughs> totally kidding. I didn't even notice. Um, so you all want a raise... And yet you haven't asked for a raise. Why? You don't have to answer. Coming before a boss is not coming before your father. It's different, right? When you come before your boss, you're a little unsure. You want to keep your job. You're may, you maybe have a little fear, a little worry, a little anxiety. Maybe for a lot of us, our boss is not a safe place. <laughs> Maybe a lot of us haven't even bothered asking for a raise because we know what the answer will be. And I dare say a lot of us are like that in prayer. We stop praying because we feel like we know what the answer is, and it's no. And the point of this whole passage is, no, 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 keep asking. 
keep asking themselves. Okay. So coming before a boss is a lot different than coming before your father. Imagine you were going to present something to like Congress or the President of the United States or something like that. Okay. Imagine your attitude in approaching the President to ask for something. It would be hard. It would be difficult. You might not want to do it. You have an opportunity. Would you like to do this? Most people would say, no. No thanks. For any number of reasons. Well, maybe we're scared of his hair. But Sorry, that was inappropriate. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we might not want to do that. There's a lot of reasons why we might not want to approach our boss. And Jesus is saying, when we pray, when we ask God for things, we need to think of the fact that he is our father. We don't approach the king of the universe when we're asking for things. Okay? He is the king of the universe. But Jesus is saying that's not who we are approaching. That's not the mode he's in right now with us. It's not the hat he's wearing. God has lots of hats, right? He's God Almighty. He's Savior, Lord, Master, Lover, Friend, Father. And Jesus is saying the aspect in which we are approaching God when we ask for things in prayer is Father not king of the universe, when you approach the king of the universe, you don't necessarily have much expectation. Because who am I? In the universe, not much. Nobody. Who cares? Why even bother? When you approach the Lord of hosts in prayer, uh, you're kind of just expecting a command, and you will go obey, obey. Because that's how that relationship works. Right? Jesus is saying, no, when you ask God for things, ask your father. You go to your dad. When you ask dad for a raise, <laughs> you have a very different mindset, very different expectations than when you ask your boss. When you ask your dad for justice, you would have a different expectation than when you ask Congress for justice for something. Right? And Jesus is saying, look, get this in your head. And for them, this is really tough. For us, it's already tough, I think. I think a lot of us don't do this when we pray. But for them, it was double tough because this was just flat out wrong to say our Father. Jesus is saying this is so important. When you ask God for things in prayer, now, I'm not saying you never pray to God in any other aspect. There, there are times when the disciples pray, Sovereign Lord. You know, like, that's, that's, that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is teaching in this passage that when we're asking God for things, we're asking our Heavenly Father, who loves us, who is not reluctant to give, I mean, the whole point of the passage is the end. Who loves to give good gifts to his kids? How much more will he give to you? So that's the attitude we have when we come to the Lord in prayer. And that attitude leads to expectation. It leads to expectation. We expect more from dad than from the boss. Because the boss doesn't care about us, particularly. He just wants to make money for the business. He, he wants to do his own thing. Our dad loves us. Our dad shows us favor. Our dad cheats, if anything, on our behalf. That's what favor is. God the Father stacks the deck for you in your life. doesn't mean everything's always perfect. There's always sacrifice and there's always suffering. That's what life is about. But in the midst of that, he's still showing us favor. That's the God we have. So we come before our Father with expectation. That's different than presumption. I'm not saying we come like a spoiled brat saying, I need you to give me this. Obviously, there's a lot of attitude in that example. But, like, we don't come with presumption, but we do come with expectation. Hey, I'm going to ask God, and he's probably going to do this. 
And what happens when he doesn't do it? What do we do? We keep asking, and we persist. Now, C.S. Lewis was famous as saying, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. And I remember when I first read that, I was like, mm, is that true? I'm not sure. Um, and I think it is. God already has a will. He already knows what he wants to do. We're not, he, we're not bringing up a new idea. Of, oh, I've never considered that. Or maybe I will heal you. You know, no. God already knows what he wants to do. But he asks us to join in the process through prayer. And by praying, especially the very important one at the end of the Lord's Prayer part, thy will be done, right? Sometimes as we pray on and persist in something, we allow God to move on our heart in such a way that we realize that we're not exactly asking for the right thing. We're not exactly the right thing. Or maybe we're asking for the right thing, but we're doing it for selfish motives. This is a lot of the time, by the way. I always assume that I have selfish motives for everything I do because chances are I probably do. And so I ask the Holy Spirit, this is what I feel like I want to pray right now. Show me the ways in which I'm not doing it right. Show me the ways in which I kind of want this for myself instead of for the other person or for other people or for the church or whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit's actually really good at answering that kind of prayer, by the way. If you're like, I don't want to be so selfish, show me where I'm selfish. He's like, I got a list. Okay, no problem. Here you go. Um, and he helps us work through that. And so when I pray, I, I know that so often there's at least some selfishness mixed in with my prayer, right? And so as we pray and as we persist in something, God helps kind of burn that off. He burns off all that stuff. And eventually we get to kind of the pure heart and will of God, and then we keep praying that. And, of course, as we talked about a little bit last week, the universe is a complicated place. The spirit is a complicated place. And Daniel had to pray for 30 days before the angel showed up and gave him the word that he wanted. And so sometimes we just don't understand. Why do things take so long? Why do we have to pray so long? I don't get it. In the Old Testament, God said, this is what I want to do. Now pray that I will do it and give me no rest until I've done it. To me, that's like, what? If you know what you want to do, do it. Like, how hard is that? But we don't understand how things work, right? And so there's an area in which we have to partner with God to make things happen on the earth. That's part of what it means, I think, to be the body of Christ. And that's why he taught us to pray, to declare his kingdom come and his will be done. Because it's our job to bring the kingdom of God here. It's not Jesus' job. He already did his job. It is finished. He did everything he needed to do. Now it's our turn to fulfill our end of the responsibility, which is to see his kingdom come on earth through what we do as led by our Father, led by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask the Father, we have this expectation. And uh, let's move a little further down in the passage um, to verse 10. Now, we've all heard this a lot. Um, I, I love the ask, seek, not. And it, as you've probably heard many times, the verb in Greek is a, is a verb that continues happening. So it's ask and keep on asking is what it literally says in Greek. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And we could do a whole sermon on this verse because asking God for something is like step one. Okay, we ask God. Maybe we ask him a few times for the same thing, but we ask. And then we seek. We search it out. We figure out how to get what it is that we're asking for. And sometimes it means actually seeking. I mean, seek means go somewhere and find it. And so sometimes an answer to our prayer might lie with somebody else. 
who has a prophetic word for us or who prays for us or who gets involved. Because remember, it's not just us and God in a weird, isolated American thing. It's we're together with God, body of Christ stuff, right? And so sometimes we need to seek God and he will use another person. Sometimes we might need to go to a place or a conference or a book. God's used a lot of different things to speak to me in my life and to lead me to the next place I needed to be and to give me what it is that I was seeking. And so we ask him, and then we seek. Sometimes that means literally going somewhere. So pray about that. The spirit will lead you. But be willing to go. Be willing to make a little risk. And then finally we get there, and we have to knock and keep on knocking. And maybe there's some things in your life that you're like, I I feel like I'm there, but I'm knocking. And it's frustrating that God's not answering the door. Keep on knocking. Everyone who knocks, the door is opened. And that's what this persistent passage is about here, that we keep on knocking. And we keep on knocking. And we let God know, Father, I am going to keep knocking until the door opens. Just FYI. Okay? I'm never, ever stopping this. And then we follow through with that. Faith is proved by faithfulness, by continuing on in what it is that we're supposed to do. And that's a godly quality, and God loves that. In fact, God finds that kind of persistent faith in prayer irresistible. And we talked about some of those examples last week. He finds this irresistible. It's like he can't help but come and answer the prayer. And he wants to anyway, right? Remember the, the, the unwilling neighbor, Jesus is being sarcastic here. He's saying, look, when you ask God for things a bunch of times and God doesn't answer you, it feels like God's an unwilling person, like he doesn't even want to do it. But that's not actually who God is. God is actually your father who wants to give good gifts to his kids. But even if you're right, and even if you were that way, if you just keep bothering the guy, he'll eventually give you what you want. That's the point of that passage. And so we keep bothering God. Give him no rest until he gives us what it is we're seeking. And so we're looking for these good gifts. And he says, which of you fathers, if your kid asks you for something good to eat, is going to give them something horrible? Nobody, right? Nobody would do that. And Jesus is like, okay, so how much more do you think the father is going to give you what you need? How much more? Particularly, how much more is he going to give you the Holy Spirit? And so this is the father that Jesus is describing. This is his father. He knows him very well, right? And he wants us to know his father just as well as he himself does. And that's in John 15. And so he's trying to introduce us to who God actually is. Because the the people of the time, they knew God in certain aspects. The almighty God part they got down. The the sovereign Lord and master part they got down. But this, all the intimate relationships... The father, friend, brother, lover, those were bizarre and crazy to them. There had been revelations of that sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. Song of Solomon is a great example. But they they were hints. They were foreshadowings. And Jesus is now like, all right, this is what we need to get first. He's our father. When we approach him, he loves to give good gifts to his kids. Okay? And so we need to work on our attitude when we pray. And what I do is I ask the Holy Spirit to remind me when my attitude is wrong. And I find that he's actually really willing to do that. And so I say, Lord, help me when my attitude is wrong. So when I changed the way I prayed for stuff a number of years ago, um, it took me a little while. Because once you're in the habit of doing something, um, it's easy to stay in the habit. In fact, it's hard to break it. And I was in the habit of, like, sort of begging God for things. You know, please do this. You know, they were good things. But I'm sort of like a beggar asking the king. And Jesus is like, no, actually, you're a loved child asking their father. It's a whole nother ball game. 
And it's really changed the way I pray. It's changed my faith because I come into prayer now. I expect to get the bread I'm asking for. And you know what I find? I get a lot more bread than I did before. And remember, the bread in this passage isn't for me. It's for me to get and give to somebody else. But I find that that happens more when I am, have the attitude of approaching my loving father. And that when I don't receive it right away, I just keep asking. You know, <laughs> my kids ask for a treat or a dessert or something like that. And I'm like, not right now. Guess what? They keep asking. I don't think a day has gone by since I've had a kid who could talk where they didn't ask for ice cream. Okay? Um, and guess what? They get a lot more ice cream because they ask. Because I don't think I've ever said to myself, hmm, this would be a great time to feed my kids ice cream. No. They get ice cream when they ask for it. Not every time they ask for it. Actually, very low percentage of the time because ice cream that often isn't good for you. Which is maybe why God doesn't always answer our prayers right away. Um, Okay, any thoughts on that before I go on to the last point? If, if you haven't thought about this before, it might be a little bit of a paradigm shift, but um, I have found this to be really, really helpful. And I think Jesus is making, making a strong point here to understand who our Father is and how that affects our prayer and how it, how it affects our relationship with him because crawling up into his lap when we need comfort, that is the best and we need to be able to learn how to do that, which means that for a lot of us, we need to become more childlike. You know, Jesus loved the kids, and he's like, actually, guys, you know, if you really want to have faith, if you really want to get closer to me, you need to become more like them, not more like those Pharisee guys who think they know it all. It is. And he wrote that down in the book. It is. It's impudence. It's the exact same reason the guy gets bread in the passage Jesus is telling. It's like inappropriate. I'm the one Jesus loved. Now, he's not saying, and you're not. But he got a hold of this truth. You're a good, good father. That's step one, to understand who the father is. But step two, which is the most important thing in our life probably, is to understand, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. I'm your child. It's the most important relationship in your life, the most important foundation in your life. The Apostle Paul says you need to be rooted and grounded. So both plant metaphor and building metaphor, rooted and grounded in the love, the father love of God. That needs to be the very foundation of our life. The roots are where all the nutrients come from. Everything that comes into our life is grounded on the fact that we are his kids. And he wants us to understand that more and more deeply throughout our lives. It's not a one-time revelation. It's a continual thing where we get more and more. We're like, whoa, I really am loved by God. This is like embarrassing. And, th and then he shows us more and he shows us more. And he continues on. Anna. A good point. Maintaining the relationship of going, yeah, really, really, really. See it this way, you know, and the more and more you keep pouring out your heart to God, finally you 
Yep. Exactly. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Yep. I think that's great. Exactly. And and sometimes the, the suffering that comes through having to persevere and pray for something for a long time is something that God needs us to have for some reason. I'm not saying that's why the bad thing is taking place. But God does use everything, even the bad stuff, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, the last thing I want to mention here is this. Um, we are asking God, the Father, for what specifically in here? Bread, which is what? The last verse, the Holy Spirit. So we are specifically asking our Father for the Holy Spirit in this passage. And Jesus says here at the end of the passage, what father who when you ask for an egg, it's egg and snake, right? Yeah. Scorpions and snakes are what the, what the father won't give the kid, right? And does anybody know what snakes and scorpions are typographically, typologically used for um, in the scriptures? Serpents and scorpions? The demonic. That's right. Jesus specifically says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will not get a demon. Everybody hear me? And we had Pentecost Sunday last week. We prayed for more of the power of God, for the filling of the Spirit, kiss of the Spirit. There are people, a lot of people I've talked to, who are afraid to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit or who are afraid to ask for the gifts of the Spirit because they were raised to believe that that's not good or not to be trusted at least or maybe actually evil. Speaking in tongues? No, no, no. That's probably the devil because it's weird. So a lot of people have that in their background and in their upbringing. And this is a church where we, we speak in tongues and sing in tongues and we prophesy and we pray for healing. And, and so we practice these things. And there might be some people here who have hesitated to jump into that. And it could be that somewhere in the back of your mind or in your past experience, there was a little bit of hesitation or mistrust because you're worried that if you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get something bad. You're going to get maybe something demonic. And I had a friend who said, I'm, I'm not going to ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do I know what spirit it is? So I ask for a gift, and I speak in tongues, or I prophesy, or do whatever. How do I know it's not a demon? And that's happened actually a lot of times. And I always bring them to Luke 11, and we read this passage together. And I'm like, who on earth, if their kid asked for food, would give them a serpent or a scorpion? Okay, again, both commonly used to refer to the demonic in the Bible. Who would do that? Jesus is saying, nobody would do that. Not even you who are evil would do that. And so how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? If we are asking God for the Holy Spirit, we get the Holy Spirit, period. It doesn't open a door for maybe a demon to squeak in in between fillings of the Holy Spirit or something like that, okay? I'm not saying demons don't pester us or the demonic isn't a real thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when we ask our loving Father for the Holy Spirit, that's what we get period. Not only do we get it, but how much more do we get it? So I wanted to bring up that aspect of it, even though it's not directly on topic, but since it was uh, Pentecost Sunday last week. So what I'd like to do now is break up into groups for, the, for our last 10 minutes or so. Um, groups of like two or three. And a lot of us have a miracle we're pressing in for or something we're pressing in for that we're asking the Father for. 
And so if you would like to share what that is, I encourage you to do that, or one of them, some of us have many, share it with the two or three people you're with um, and have them pray for you, um, and then go to the next person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, maybe you just want to have a greater revelation of God as your father and what that means. We all need that. We all need, wherever we are on the spectrum, we need more of the Holy Spirit, which is another one of Jesus' points. Keep asking for more of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as enough of God, Right? John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born, Jesus said. And even he said, I must decrease and he must increase. So we can always get deeper. We can always go farther. We can always understand what it means to be a child more than we do. So let's break up in the groups of like two or three um, and share and pray for each other. This is a safe place. If you don't want it to leave your little group, please just say, don't tell anybody this, but. And it's a safe place. We'll respect each other. If you don't want to share, that's fine too. You can just pray. Um, yes, break up. And I encourage you, even though this is a tiny bit uncomfortable for some, I encourage you to not just meet with, like, just your spouse or your best friend. <laughs> uh, maybe add someone else to your group, too, uh, because that's good. And I'm not going to preach about why. Okay, break up as you wish. <laughs>